0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie. I am grateful to be with you here today. I'm on my own. And today in this episode, I am going to endeavor to walk you through a broader and wider and and a creative way to think about last episode's content. So if you have not already listened to episode 92, in that episode, Nathan and I kind of uh, deconstructed and offered to you, our audience, some thoughts and feelings about the recent address given by Elder Hamilton of the Seventy. Um, the title the title of his talk was "Why a Church." So, in that episode, we talked about uh, a variety of different things that we heard that were pretty concerning to us, and we just wanted to shine a light on them in an effort to invite dialogue and to invite conversation, because what we're hearing in addresses like this, which we've had a few of in the last little while, what we're hearing is that there is a lot of need for belief, control, not conversation, not uh, a call to action, not invitations to change, um, and certainly not any kind of an invitation or an acceptance of the invitation for accountability on the part of the institution. And therefore, it's important for us to talk about these things. Uh, there's a there's a lot of us out there that are interested in having a healthy and peaceful relationship in some way, shape, or form with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because it's our home church. It's We have a lot of heritage there. Um, a lot of us feel like Mormon Mormonness is coursing through our DNA and we can't seem to figure out how to extricate it. And so therefore, we want to learn how to become more healthy around it, even if we don't necessarily feel like we want to be um, active in the church, that's fine. Some of us uh, choose to not be church attending, but we want to have an integrated relationship with the church. And there are many of us who actually want to also somehow f- uh, find a way to be in a an authentic relationship with the church and derive the benefits from the parts of it that have in fact blessed us. And we're finding addresses of this nature to be actually uh, very, very toxic And making it harder for those of us who are trying to make it work in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as we are personally learning, growing, evolving, and in fact changing. So what I'm going to do today is I want to look at this dynamic between leadership and followership. And I'm specifically referencing those of us, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably fall in this category of followership. You're somebody who, well, I can't speak for everybody because everybody's experiences are of course different, but I know from a lot of the small groups that I'm running and I'm getting a lot of experiences of people and I am noticing some, some trends. And one of the trends that I notice is a lot of us who are in this active struggle have been very, very orthodox at some point in time, or at least um, have have noticed that we used to see or used to have a relationship with the church that looked one way, and after um, a series of events or something that we've learned, some way that life has happened, we've by default needed to come into a different kind of relationship with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It became a matter of our own integrity. It was mandatory for us to change our relationship with the church, if we were going to have any kind of a relationship that was something that could be viable, sustainable, and healthy. Okay. So that is, that is the population that I'm wanting to talk to right now in this podcast. And, and it's, and then there's the other relationship with, which is the hierarchical church or the leadership level of the church. Okay. So this is a relationship where there are, there's a power dynamic at play and it's one where Maybe for some period of time, it seemed to work. It seemed to be something that both parties were complicit in, meaning that the leaders of the church would lead and kind of tell us how to believe and what to do and and how to get back to heaven. And the followers were willing and able to listen and stay in line and comply. And then something shifted, and now we find ourselves in this problematic place where we feel in some ways like we are hitting heads and um, feeling a lot of pain and disconnect. Okay, so that is setting the stage for the dynamics between the leadership and uh, at least our population of people that are are in faith expansion listening to this podcast. Okay, I wanna have you put that aside for just a second and I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit about um, a psychological framework that I'm going to be using today to sort of help us all understand what in the world might be going on that makes this particular dynamic that we are actively experiencing um, not just a, a free-floating chaotic random thing, but this actually can be fitted into a psychological framework. The framework that I want to look at with you today is I'm going to be, um, I, I, I like a lot of different frameworks, but probably my favorite one is Jungian uh, psychotherapy, And one of the concepts that Carl Jung uses is he talks about the lifespan of a projection. Okay, I'm not going to say that word anymore because it tends to confuse a lot of people and I don't feel like I actually do a very good job of describing what it is. And so what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to call this the lifespan of a, a relationship that begins in romance that has the potential to end in love. So I want you to just think about a partnership. You have two people that fall in love and they think that they are going to be happily ever after and they're going to complete each other's sentences. It's kind of like what I kind of call the you complete me kind of phase. In intimate relationships, many if not most of us go through a period where we idealize the other and we think that this in fact is the answer to all of our problems. Okay, totally normal. Uh, It's an immature, it's an underdeveloped way of looking at a relationship, but nonetheless, it is still part of the process. Okay. Now bear, bear with me, hang in there with me, because I'm going to walk you through how this looks in a relationship between two people. And then I'm going to actually superimpose this exact same model on leadership and who we are on followership or those of us who are in this nuanced phase or this nuanced place in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so we have step one, romance, you complete me. Now, step two is when the relationship starts to get a little bit more messy, okay? So something happens in this relationship and usually in most intimate relationships, there is a bit of a dynamic where one person is the, what I like to call the one up and the other person is the one down. And the one up is the protector and the provider. You could definitely say in our patriarchal culture, Oftentimes this dynamic may look like the male is the one up, the protector, the provider, and the one down is the female, right? I'm just, you know, I'm just going with like, I guess a stereotype, right? So in this particular case, you have a one up, I'm going to take care of you. I've got all of this. I will make everything okay. The one down says, okay, will you please protect me? It's kind of like a Prince Charming, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella kind of tropey thing. And in this particular case, at the very beginning, everybody likes this plan. It feels good. You protect me and you feel pretty good about yourself because you're protecting me. I get protected and I feel pretty great because I'm being taken care of. I mean, in some ways, there's kind of a compelling, it's a compelling narrative that both parties buy into. Now, as the relationship moves on, the idealization inevitably is going to fail and the partnership is going to recognize that they do not in fact actually complete each other. As a matter of fact, oftentimes uh, they start recognizing that there's a major discrepancy and a widening gulf between who I thought you were as my protector and who you really are. Because who you really are is actually just a human being. You, know, you might be a decent human being, but you're not all the things I thought you were, by golly. And I'm kind of sad about it. And so what I try to do is I try to wrangle you back into my old frame. And I try to kind of keep you where you were because I really liked you being my protector. I wanted to have all of my life's problems solved. I didn't want to think about all of the complexities of my own life. And so the second stage of this, you know, romancing situation before it turned into actual love is kind of messy where the relationship is trying to reestablish the old way um, of the you complete me idea. And it doesn't work very much. And so we move to stage number three in this lifespan of the romance that may or may not turn into love. And in this case, uh, we the, the relationship has a couple of choices, which is, okay, we had an old model and it seemed to work for a little while, but we are recognizing that it wasn't a sustainable model. It wasn't a strong model because it's not making space for humanity, for woundedness, for each of us having our own struggles and problems. And it's also really... Um, Helping us recognize that we have to reconsider how to be in a healthier relationship with each other if this thing is going to last. We have to recognize that you didn't, like for the one down party, we have to recognize that you don't complete me and you never did and you never could. And I kind of thought you could, but that was sort of a story that I made up in my own head. Step number four is where uh, this relationship starts to recognize that maybe this isn't a bust. Maybe there's potential here and that we have to recognize that I put these expectations on you because we all do that. We really actually all want someone to save us and to someone to complete us. We don't want to actually have to look at ourselves. We don't want to be accountable. We want to recognize that I handed to my partner all sorts of responsibilities that are mine to hold as I use this life as the crucible for my own growth growth. And refinement, and so we recognize that. Okay, I have to take this back. I gave you this big burden, this responsibility to be all of these things for me, and here I am, um, devastated and sad that they're not working. I tried to sort of like, uh, when it when it when I could tell that things weren't going well, I tried to shove you back to that place. It didn't work, and so here I am. I love you and I care about you enough to recognize that that's that's not going to work anymore. So what can I do? To actually look at myself and how can I actually recognize that, okay, I brought with me. Now I'm moving to step five here. I brought with me my own stuff. And I recognize that I tried to hand this stuff to you to so that I wouldn't have to self-confront. And it's not working. But if I want this relationship to work, I have to take ownership of my stuff and recognize that in this particular relationship. We can, in fact, be really, really supportive of one another. We can love one another. We can value and cherish one another, but we cannot expect the other to do our life's work, which is to become accountable and whole and become as, um, as evolved and developed as one can be. And when one does that in the context of the relationship, they become a really great relational partner especially when they recognize that it's not your responsibility to protect me from myself. It's my responsibility to grow my soul up and do this in the context of this larger relationship. Okay, what you might notice here is that this, in fact, it it mirrors or we could superimpose this exact model onto some of the wrestles that I think some of us are having here in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Gosh, I wish that was a shorter name. (laughs) I feel like I say it just way too often that's why I just kind of lapse into Mormon sometimes but if you think about this we ourselves are in the throes of this exact process where we began in what I like to kind of call the romance phase of our relationship with the church the you complete me phase this idea that you are the answer to all of my life's questions and how lovely would that be and while we're in that real Romancy stage whether it be in an intimate relationship or with our, with our church in this case, it feels really good. All the answers are indeed right before our eyes and we don't have to worry about anything. Okay, but inevitably, those of us who are here in faith expansion recognize that just like in an intimate relationship, guess what happens? One day we wake up and we start noticing discrepancies. We start noticing a widening gulf between who they actually are, in this case, the institution, and who we thought they were. And so many of us try to reapply the blinders, uh, put on the blindfold, and just try to pretend, put our heads in the sand, uh, make all sorts of excuses for the inexcusable, and we try to move that relationship back to where it was, because who who wouldn't want the simplistic romance phase of any relationship? The problem is, it's not sustainable. And the other problem is, you can't unsee what you've already begun to see. Some people do, in fact, institutionally and in intimate relationships— they do actually spend a, a fair amount of time and energy trying to recreate the old model which is the before i knew better model or the romance the very 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 beginning romance phase where they just sort of pretend like they don't see what they in fact are beginning to see which is this is a messy complicated human or this is a messy and complicated church it ain't what i thought it was so what am i going to do okay in some intimate relationships as well as in the church what some people do is they cut and run. They say, well, clearly you're not what I thought you were. I'm out. And that's, you know, that's fine. That's what some people do. Um, also they might decide, okay, I'm going to stay involved. I'm going to try to figure this out and help this relationship grow on completely different terms. And in essence, what it means also is that I'm going to have to create a different relationship. Like it can't be the old thing because the old thing is, um, it's a construction in my brain. (laughs) It wasn't ever real in the first place. It felt good. It made sense when it did make sense, but it, it wasn't actually based on reality. And so now I'm going to have to construct a reality-based relationship with either the person or with the institution itself. And that's when the really hard work begins. And so what we have to start doing is we as individuals have to start acknowledging, where did I hand this other person, or in the case of the institution, where did I hand the institution so much power to make me okay? And how can I begin the process of taking this back? I need to look at the institution and say, who are you anyways? And what role do you play? And how can I learn to have a relationship with you based on my new, more enlightened reality? I have to recognize you don't have all the answers. You don't complete me. You never could you are irritatingly complex and not the perfect thing that either of us um, were led to believe in the first place. And so that's a lot of growth. It's an enormous amount of grief. It's very, very confusing. And it's, it's the reevaluation of something that um, causes a lot of pain because it actually, and it's traumatic in nature because it actually oftentimes really uh, tips us, tips us over we thought we understood ourselves. We thought we understood ourselves in the context of this institution. And all of a sudden we don't know which way is up. We are completely disoriented. And sometimes because the way we are uh, let into the secret of how complex the institution is, is not, um, it's, it, it's done, it's an unpleasant experience because oftentimes if we are exposed to something and it's not disclosed to us, it's much more painful. And I'll get into a little bit, I'll get into that a little bit later, but we um, have to go through a redefining of the relationship. And we have to go through this, this grief and mourning and even rage phase, especially if in the case of the one up, um, whether it be an institution or the other, um, they really are holding tightly to the original model meaning that they wanna stay in the romance phase forever and they really, really liked the idea of, of being the protector and being the savior of, of us um, as individuals or as members. Okay, so as we are wrestling with this grief, we, start, we need to start recognizing that, okay, if I want this thing to last, I have to reestablish a new relationship and recognize that whatever I thought the institution was going to do for me out there or whatever I thought that partner was going to do for me out there. All the stuff that I thought was missing the hole in my soul that you were going to complete that I was never going to have to worry about. Guess what? That falls right back in my own lap. And I have to recognize that I am enough. I have the abilities. I have the DNA of God coursing through me. I have what it takes to become whole right where I am and who I am. And I have to take back that, temp- that that desire, the thing that's so tempting to do and say, partner, fix me. Partner, make it all go away. I have to say, church, you know, I have to stop saying, church, fix me. Church, make it all go away. I have to do the incredibly heroic work of taking back my own soul's growth, my own identity development, my own uh, shadow work. I have to start really, really looking at myself And recognizing as wonderful as the idea of something out there doing things for me sounds at first blush, it really isn't made. It doesn't work that way because that's not how a soul is constructed. That's not really how we grow grace by grace to eventually become who we are here to become, which is truly like our parents in heaven. And so we take that back and we recognize that we had, we've come by our desires very honestly, but that nothing can fix us more than going within and recognizing that through in and through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can be made whole with the added benefits of those things around us that can help us with those things. So once again, you'll notice that there's, there's such a parallel here. It's really beautiful in these relationships around us can they be instrumental in helping us, in supporting us, in, in lifting us up and helping us recognize that um, we have what it takes? Can the church or a church do this? Do they have the potential to be able to really say, hey, we support the growth of your soul. We want to be a part of this process. And also, at the end of the day, you can find it from within. And we're right here by you, supporting you, loving you, giving you opportunities to participate in beautiful um, ordinances and covenants and service projects and communion with other people. Like if this works for you and it actually enhances your own relationship with yourself through God or your own relationship with God through what's internally already, you know, in there within you, then wonderful. We help you with that. That can also be the case with relationship with others. In this case, I'm talking about an intimate partner. I'm uh, Intimacy comes because we're not saying I will do this for you. It's saying I will watch and participate as your greatest cheerleader, helping you see how competent you are. You don't need me to complete you because guess what? You have all the raw material right inside of you to complete yourself because you are a child of God and you are an active participant in the infinite and eternal power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So a church that can do that and a loved one that can do that is actually enhancing our ability to become truly ourselves. And guess what happens as an outcome of that? Love. Love is always the outcome of this experience, this collaborative experience where we are able to watch and witness and stand by and cheer on and support the growth of another. And so those are the steps of um, moving out of the romance phase and into. into a relationship where love is at the foundation okay now i want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about why this sometimes breaks down and this is really where i'm kind of honing in on why are we having so darn much problem right now with these talks with these addresses that are basically kind of saying you're not allowed to grow there's something wrong with you growing there's something wrong with you doing what you're doing step back into place trust us believe us don't protest don't have an opinion and certainly don't not need us okay so i wonder if i'm hoping that i've maybe set the stage enough to where you can kind of like you're seeing where i'm going with this so the next part of um the way i like to think about this especially you're you're probably picking up on the fact that i'm a relationship counselor which i've already mentioned but Um, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this in a couple of episodes because, uh, Brown and Patrick and I are actually going to go, and we have a four part series where we're talking about some of the breakdowns in the uh, doctrine of eternal marriage. And so we use a lot of relationship skill things in that conversation. And you're of course hearing it in this conversation too. So, okay. So what we're talking about here is I'm, I'm wanting to once again, relate to you and sort of compare the difference between the church and those of us progressive Latter-day Saints in and around the church that are are really pushing back. And compare that to um, an intimate relationship where you have one up partner who's the caregiver, and then you've got one down partner who's the care receiver. And when everything goes well and they recognize this isn't working, I gotta take back my stuff, I've gotta grow my soul. When this goes well, like a very best case scenario, the one-up partner says, you know what, you're right. I I was trying to uh, shield you from all of your struggles and wounds. And it felt like a good idea at the time, but I'm now noticing that it's not a good idea and that this isn't actually helping you grow. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lovingly stop participating in my part of this dynamic. And one down person who's like, the you complete me person, that you protect me and you, you know, you're the one that's going to solve all my problems person, that person recognizes, you know what? This isn't working for me. And um, I've put a lot on you and I've wanted you to answer all of my life's problems. But guess what? I'm now recognizing that I can actually answer my own life's problems. And so in a best case scenario, a couple does a lot of wrestling to recognize that they need to change the way they look at relationship. They need to recognize that we are here for each other, but we're here to cheer on one another in the beautiful sacred work of each other's own individuation or individual growth projects. And so in the best case scenario, both partners recognize that this is necessary. It's actually mandatory for the couple relationship to thrive, that each partner uh, stops over-functioning and um, trying to protect uh, the other from all of their struggles and wounds, that we recognize that I will walk by your side, I'll help you, but I can't do this for you. I can't be the thing you need me to be. Okay. Now there are situations that I have dealt with in intimate relationships where one of the partners is unhappy and recognizes that he or she needs to start doing his or her own growing up work, but the one up protector does not want to let go of their role. And that seems really strange, doesn't it? Because in some ways it's like, wow, don't you want the relationship to thrive? Don't you want this to work? And in their particular situation, what I've come to notice is that sometimes in an intimate relationship, that one-up protector desperately needs to be needed. And they really, really need to be the protector. They need to be the savior. They need to be the one that is able to make everything okay, even though they've probably already by this point in time, because you have protest on the other side of the relationship, they're probably recognizing that it ain't going so well. And yet at the same time, they really hold on to that because that is a very profound part of their identity. And so in the intimate relationship, they protest and they want to hold on to their role as the protector. It's how they find value in themselves it's how they see themselves as worthy. It's they don't know who they are if they're letting that other person grow Into independent of themselves. And sometimes they even feel like, well, if they don't need me anymore, then they'll leave. And so what I want to do now is talk you through, this is my proposal as I've been watching this whole thing unfold, beginning with the Elder Corbett talk and now looking at this Elder Hamilton talk, I kind of think, that's maybe what's going on here in our poor, wounded, and struggling church. You have a protector, and you know, I've been talking about partners, but let's go, let's go macro again and let's talk about the church and those of us who are pushing back. You have a protector that, that wants to stay in the romance. They want to believe, and they want us to believe, hey, we've got this. You don't need to do anything. I've got you. I'm going to protect you. We're going to live happily ever after. It's going to be great. It's the early romance phase. And they kind of like the orthodoxy because guess what? The orthodoxy is buying into the early romance. They too feel the simplicity of, if I just listen, stand in line, obey according to whatever those things are that they're saying, I will go to heaven. I will live happily ever after and everything will be just fine. And for that crowd so far, for for, Because of their own life's experiences, I guess still it's working out that way. Complexity in life hasn't entered in to help them recognize the discrepancy. For the rest of us, because growth and change is inevitable, and because I don't think that we're living in a chaotic, you know, this is not chaotic, and that's why I think there's a psychological model for this, inevitably the romance phase will end because that's where growth begins because we'll remember that when we're in the romance phase, guess what, we're actually madly in love with a mirage. We're not actually even in love with the real person or the real church, we're in love with an idea. And of course, we're going to feel massive amounts of grief and anxiety when we wake up one day and recognize, oh my goodness, my partner is not who I thought they were, or oh my goodness, my church is not who I thought they were. They're completely different and not in pleasant ways usually. Okay, so what we notice then is that in these healthy systems, everyone sort of recognizes that they've got to introduce into their relationship something new, but sometimes the protector part does not want to participate. I'm going to walk you through a couple of reasons why protectors struggle. I've already kind of touched on them, but I'm going to be very specific now. Some protectors feel like that is their responsibility, their God-given responsibility to hold all of the wounds And to protect the the person or the people that they are protecting and they also feel that um, when they try and even when this inevitably fails they're incredibly resentful that the parties that they're trying so hard to protect are not grateful because inevitably they're never going to satisfy the party that they're trying to protect because it's not actually their job to protect them their job is to actually support the individual growth of the person with whom they are in relationship. So in the case of the church, um, it's my feeling that there is a deep sense of responsibility that we want to be the means by which you are able to get yourself to heaven. We are the vehicle to get you there. And thank you for being here. And we're going to do it all for you and with you. And these are all the things that are very simple and do all these things and believe all these ways and try really hard not to think about all of the exceptions and the complications and all the reasons why one plus one does not equal two (laughs) and, and just do what we say, because we really, really want to get you to heaven because we care. And then when people say, Hey, but what about this? Like, what about my queer kid? Or what about the fact that I'm single? Or what about the fact that this doesn't even make sense? Or what about polygamy or any of those things as they emerge? The church gets, I think, I think that that's one of the reasons why they're so, that these talks come about is they resent us. They're upset that like, you're not being grateful. Here we are trying to provide you this means by which you can get to heaven. We are trying to protect you and you're not being grateful. And so I think this is one of the reasons maybe why we start hearing these talks and we, we're, still, we're feeling silenced and, and we're feeling like we don't have a voice and they don't hear our pain because they're trying to protect us and they don't quite frankly know how to manage all the complexities that we keep laying at their feet because they don't in fact have the answers, which is why I think we, when we move into that discrepancy phase, it starts to get really, really messy because we can't go backwards. We know that we were in love with romancing a mirage and now we're recognizing that I'm, I'm trying to be in a real relationship with a real institution. Can you show up and be real with me? Can we heal this thing? Another, um, another couple of reasons why protectors sometimes um, really struggle or the one up really, really struggles with letting go of this role is because they don't like the conflict that comes from it. Inevitably, when a couple moves into this phase, it gets really messy. Oh boy, all of the old model goes away. All of what felt like a really peaceful, oftentimes low conflict relationship goes completely out the window because the growing person in the evolving person who was the one down is like, wait a minute, I want an equal relationship here. I don't want to need you. I want to be in relationship with you because I choose you, but I don't like the need-based model that we're in. I want to grow myself up. And boy, that can feel very, very threatening because what that brings up in um, an intimate relationship and of course what we're seeing here in the institution is it brings up a load of conflict where everyone has to start recognizing that this this isn't working. We've got to do something different. So once again, I think this talk is again, another representation of poor conflict management um, and a complete evasion of conflict management is kind of how I see it. They're not wanting to be in conflict. And so what they're doing is they're strong-arming people to be silent and compliant. And of course, in any relationship, that's not going to go well. And in any healthy relationship, uh, the, the the one who is protesting needs to respectfully say, I I won't stop protesting because I'm fighting for the health of my soul and of this system. And in our case with the church, the system is the church and we're fighting for our own autonomy. We're fighting for our own spiritual development. And we're actually doing this in the service of helping the church grow because we want the church to recognize, in many cases for us, we don't want to throw them out. We don't want to walk away. But we are demanding that we come into a more congruent partnership-related relationship with the church. And so therefore, of course, there's a big, there's a, there's a lot of talks like this because it's basically saying we can't, we don't know how to manage this conflict. We're trying to help you. You're not being grateful. And once again, as we're differentiating ourselves, as we're becoming more healthy individuals, we are going to get a lot of pushback from our pushback, because once again, in some unhealthy systems, the one up does not want us to be changed. They want it to stay the same. They wanna stay in romance. Okay, I mentioned this a little bit before, but once again, I'm going to kind of expand on this. I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself, but the next reason why it's sometimes very, very hard for the partner or for the entity that has all of the power Has struggles giving that power up is because they find their own worth in being powerful, and this is very very sad. But it's actually not very uncommon. We can find this in intimate relationship. We can find it in any kind of a dynamic between two peoples or within organizations. Where when somebody sees themselves as worthy because they have power over, then when that other entity starts to sort of self define and take take ownership of their own power. It destabilizes the system because there's a lot of threat that sometimes those in the positions of power don't know who they are when they're not in power. And they also probably recognize that if you don't need me because you are beholden to me, why would you stay? And once again, if I were to go back to an intimate relationship, When that dynamic comes up in my counseling room, what i like to talk to the partners about is, well, don't you want them to stay because you're lovable? Don't you want them to stay because they desire being around you, because they enjoy you, because they grow from you, because they feel and sense your affection for them and your support of their growth? That is the kind of relationship we want to be in. We don't want to be in a relationship because there's a dependency or there's a need that the only reason someone stays is because I have power over them and their salvation will disappear or their income will disappear or their house will disappear if they don't have me. And so one of the other reasons why I believe we're struggling right now between the hierarchy and ourselves as expanding members of the church is there might be just a little bit of insecurity that if I don't in fact have all of the answers on how to get you back to heaven, Is there a possibility that you might go away because the contract that we made was I give you all of these black and white rules and answers and you comply to those and you feel so afraid that if you don't do those things that you stick around because you're afraid or you stick around because you fear that you can't be okay without me. And what I'm here to say is that interestingly, if we shift this dynamic and we recognize that maybe if the institution actually encouraged our growth and was really, really able to sort of say, hey, we are here as a support network, but we recognize your ability to grow. And we just want to be by your side and we want to be here to help you as we're able to. And as you see that it's actually being helpful. I don't think they understand how incredibly endearing that would be and how many more people would stay if they were given their psychological and spiritual agency, if they were given the confidence to believe That the church is a loving resource, that when they direct us towards God, we hold on with both hands because we're so grateful. But also recognizing that as individuals, we too have incredible abilities to connect with our divine parents and our Savior Jesus Christ as autonomous beings, also. Okay, so let me just review so far. I've got one more point, but I'm going to review the three reasons so far that I've mentioned as to why it feels challenging for some empowered individuals or institutions to let go of the romance dynamic and move into the true love dynamic. Sometimes, uh, in in this case, I'm gonna just stay with the church, sometimes um, my my proposition here is that uh, they feel that it is their responsibility to protect. They want to keep themselves in power and others out of power because they feel like they are responsible for that. They feel like it's their job and to do a job well they have to keep the power. In order to keep the power, you have to have someone to care for. And so they really, really want to keep this power dynamic because they want to serve us. And they also feel very, very resentful when we don't act grateful for this service. Reason number two, why it is challenging to, uh, to the church, I think, um, to let go of this romance or this underdeveloped phase of relationship is because they don't want to manage all of the messy conflict that comes from growth. They would have to be accountable. They would have to recognize that, oh boy, that was a romance. That was lovely while it lasted. But here we are, a new relationship that's messy, that has um, historical concerns, it has scientific concerns, it has psychological concerns. But do we care enough about this relationship to manage the conflict and to be accountable and to sort of just recreate a different kind of relationship that is a relationship of equals. Reason number three, why I think that the church struggles with, uh, with our growing out of the romance phase, and they're sort of trying to keep us in that romance phase is they find identity in having the power. This is who I am. This is what I do. I don't even actually know who I am in any other way. And so I'm going to keep wrestling to try to keep you back into this, um, the old phase into the romance. Uh, because I worry that I don't actually have value here, and if I, if there is, if I don't have power over you, will you stay? Will you choose me because I am a lovable resource and a support to your spiritual education and your ability to find your parents in heaven in Jesus Christ? Will you, will you do that on your own terms without the fear, the guilt, the shame, and the black and white answers that don't actually even tend to help after a while? Okay, number four, the very last one, very last reason why I feel that we may be in this um, very, very challenging dynamic with the church, um, them wanting to sort of stay in this underdeveloped um, early phase of relationship. And those of us here listening to this podcast, really demanding a shift and a change because we're growing. The romance is over. The gig is up. (laughs) So number four reason is that um, I believe that, uh, well, this is just part of the bigger model, Is that some partners um, don't want to leave this dynamic, especially the one up partner specifically, because they don't actually believe that the one down partner is strong enough to be okay. So, basically, once again, in a relationship, the one up is like, I can't let go of this because you really are weak. You really don't have what it takes to grow your own soul up. You don't have the right answers. If I let you go, You're going to make a big mess of it you're going to hurt yourself you're going to hurt people around you and so i really still want to control you because i think i know better than you and so once again what happens is especially right here if we were to take this back to the church situation is what they're saying in some ways or what might be going on and i'm not saying any of this is conscious of course i think this is all very very unconscious and of course it's it's a macro thing it's institutional so it's unfortunately i can't sit them you know, these two parties down, you know, on my couch and talk to everybody. But the idea here is if these people start believing in these concepts that are, that are dictated by love and not by these uh, prescribed dogmatic ways of believing that we've taught them, what if they're wrong? And what if we're right? And what if they don't end up going back to heaven? And I'm going to just strong arm them to believe all the things because I believe them. It works for me And so I want them to get to heaven. And so by golly, I'm going to force them to believe a certain way and shame them if they don't. And I'm going to encourage them to feel less than and fearful. And I'm going to call them, you know, lazy learners, or I'm going to say that they're not being faithful or trusting or obedient or whatever the the words are that basically says, I need you to stay here because you don't in fact have spiritual abilities to get back to your parents in heaven. Without this church, you are lost. Without this church, you you don't have what it takes. You have to have me or you won't be okay. And so in some ways, what it does is it actually communicates a lack of trust in us, the members, who ironically are actually most of us, at least listening to this platform, we're wanting to stay in connection. We want the added benefit. We want the resources. We want the pot- the goodness that comes from this tradition of Christianity. But what they're communicating to us is we don't trust that you can. You don't have the innate wisdom and the goodness and the potential to grow in spiritual wisdom and agency and the ability to discern for yourselves what's right for you. And so this lack of trust then, of course, brings up a lot of the the, har- the harsh behavior in the language because. I guess it circles us back to the way we started our podcast, um, our last episode, when, when Nathan said, you know what I feel is driving so much of this kind of rhetoric is fear. It's fear. It's fear that you'll leave me if we, if we aren't on a dependency model. It's fear that I'm not going to be doing my job if I don't keep you in line and keep you believing a certain way and God will be mad at me. It's fear that if you don't do what I say, I'm being an irresponsible steward and you aren't competent enough anyways to get back to God without my telling you exactly what to do and finally it's fear that I don't want the conflict that comes with growth. Okay, so I hope this makes sense to you in helping you understand What's going on here in this current culture of the church? This is just my proposal. I'm just, like I said, I'm overlapping or I'm superimposing a psychology model. It's a systems model where you're working with two entities. And I've tried to offer to you in my very probably, hope it wasn't too clunky. I've tried to offer you when you have two parties, one with power, one with less power, You've got the one up protector and the one down protected. This works well for a while until it doesn't. And then you have to start really repositioning all of the dynamics so that the one down can grow and the relationship can become a relationship of equality where all parties are are encouraged to grow and to participate in ways that are expansive to them. And the cool thing is when that happens, guess what happens to the system or to the couple or to the church and its members? Everybody grows. Everybody becomes supportive. Everybody loves one another and are wanting and and encouraging the growth of the other. No one feels threatened that the other's growth negates uh, the viability of the larger relationship. And so I'm trying to kind of communicate to you that I think it's important for us as we're in struggle as members of the church to recognize that this is a larger phenomenon that's going on. Um, to help you maybe kind of have um, a better idea that this isn't just happening in chaos. And it also, hopefully, I will uh, will hearten you to recognize that you're doing really, really good and important growth work. And for those of you who are grieving that the old romance is over, to go ahead and grieve that, but then recognize that there's something really beautiful going on because you're taking back your own God-ordained power to grow your own soul Because that's who you are. You're a child of God. And we have resources aplenty in this world, other human beings here to help us, institutions to help us when they're able. And we have all of those resources, but don't get worried that you're doing something wrong. You're actually doing something very, very important. You're doing something very, very right. And you're probably going to, I'm hoping too, that this will contextualize the wrestle that the church is having as a very, very uh, wounded, shadow laden, insecure body of of members and of leaders that are trying their hardest and doing their best but they're they're afraid. They don't know what to make of this um this protest and by the way it's been going on for a long time. It's been going on for a long time and so for us to recognize that um we will still continue to do our psychologically and spiritually sound work in growing our own souls and speaking out but with love and recognizing that it is through love that things can heal. And in recognizing that when people are afraid Sometimes they don't make the best choices. and sometimes they um, try to impose on um, other bodies, other institute or other human beings, they try to impose um, tactics of of you know power and force. and to let us so that we can kind of understand that, oh, they're afraid. And And for those of us who feel to stay and feel to continue to help this system evolve and reshape itself, to become healthier, to recognize that we aren't going anywhere, And we're still going to do our growth work and hope and pray for the day as things change and evolve, that um, they will come to a place where they will recognize that having power over is not the way of our Savior Jesus Christ, but being in partnership with is the way um, any healthy relationship thrives, whether it be a small marriage, um, relationships between any two individuals or between a church and their members. Okay, you might have to listen to this one a couple times, but I hope I did a decent job in helping us all understand um, how to look at the conflict between uh, some of the members of the church and the leadership of the church through this psychological lens of union projection. That is exactly what I just talked to you all about. So thank you all for being here. We are going to be starting in a couple of episodes. We're going to be starting a long series, Ah, long I guess, yeah. Uh, where we're going to be really jumping into the doctrine of relationship and marriage and how while on the on the surface, it feels like a great idea. There is a lot of unintended consequences um, with this doctrine. We're just going to talk a lot about healthy relationship, what it looks like um, and how in some cases, unfortunately, this doesn't necessarily, the, the doctrine doesn't lend itself well to the Striving and thriving of healthy individuals for a variety of reasons. We're going to break that down in the next um, couple of several episodes. We've got one more before that starts. And then we're going to have several people come on that are individuals that have been personally impacted by the marriage doctrine in ways that have been very, very challenging. So if you want to join in with me on one of my small groups, I would invite you to jump onto latter day struggles podcast on Instagram or info at Valerie and get on a wait list. I am frantically trying to figure out how to fit as many people into these groups as possible. We are making tracks on that, doing the best that we can at very least you can get on a wait list. Also I'm getting some courses created for many of you who are wanting that as a, as an adjunct to, or in addition to group work, or maybe you just want that instead of group work. Um, and then also, if you would pause and rate and review this podcast, it's ever so helpful for other people who are new to this gig and are trying to make sense of what they're going through and they want to go to a trustworthy source where they feel like they're, um, who whoever they're listening to is is trustworthy and trying to really be you know, bold but fair. And last but not least, uh, Latter-day Struggles is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcasting Network, another show that you might enjoy and you probably already do is At Last She Said It. And many people have recommended that we podcast together because I I guess we do a lot of the same kinds of topics. So please support them. And you can also support the Dialogue Podcasting Network by jumping on to and subscribing to Dialogue Journal. And you can find them at dialoguejournal.com online where you'll receive special benefits like some ad-free episodes and bonus content if you are a subscriber of Dialogue. They are a fantastic Fantastic organization who are sort of the founders of Mormon Progressive Thought. So please support them. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.